This fall, Pastor Jonathan and Scott are working their way through a sermon series on the book of Jonah. That series has begun, but I'm taking the liberty to intersperse some of my farewell sermons, and today is number two. These farewell sermons are intended to uh, leave you with those topics of scripture which are very dear to my heart, which I am commending to you as, my, as this beloved congregation. So I invite you to open your Bible to the book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 6 for the reading of God's holy word, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Let us ask the Lord for the blessing of the Spirit upon the reading and hearing of his word. Holy Lord, we pray that you will send forth your Holy Spirit upon us now to open our ears and to open our hearts, to give the light of spiritual illumination to our minds, that we might behold ourselves in your presence to hear and receive your word in true faith to the glory of your holy name. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God eternal. Amen. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is... The most important thing 
that you will do this week. Now I'm going to give you a moment to think about that and to answer that question in your minds. Maybe to write it down in your sermon notes. What is the most important thing that you will do this week? The most important thing that you will do this week, you are doing it right now. Is there a God who created all things visible and invisible by the power of his word? Who knit you together in your mother's womb, made you for his own glory, to know him love him, and enjoy him forever? Is there a God who came into the world to rescue you from your sin and eternal destruction? Who became human without sin in order to bear in his own body your sins and mine upon a cursed cross so that we might not perish? but have everlasting life? Is there a God who sovereignly rules over this fallen world and who works all things together for the good of those who love him? If the answer to those questions is yes, which it is, then the most important thing that anyone could ever do on any week is to worship the living God in accordance with his word, gathered with his people on the day that he has appointed. Now the passage from Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight, provides a pattern of worship an order of service, if you will. An order of service which our order of service basically follows. And if you understand this biblical pattern of corporate worship on the Lord's day and the theological flow of the service from beginning to end, there really is a biblical logic to it. If you participate in worship mindfully aware of what we are doing and why we are doing it, when we are doing it, then I think you will be better able to offer your worship in a much more meaningful way and have a much more edifying experience of corporate worship. My dear brothers and sisters, corporate worship is at the center of the life of the church. Corporate worship on the Lord's day is at the center of the Christian life. I pray that corporate worship on the Lord's day will be at the center of your life for as long as you live 
on this earth. So I want you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah 6. I want you to have your bulletin in hand as we work our way through this passage. Isaiah was a prophet from about 740 B.C. until about 700 B.C. Chapter 6 is Isaiah's call into the prophetic ministry. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now this opening verse, Isaiah's experience, has relevance for you today. Isaiah was standing in the temple in Jerusalem Worshiping the Lord. But as a prophet of the Lord, Isaiah was given a special revelation, a vision of heaven. Isaiah was standing in the temple in Jerusalem, but the veil between time and eternity, the veil between heaven and earth, was pulled away. And Isaiah could see the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in majestic, overwhelming splendor and the train of his robe signifying power and authority and glory filled the temple, the heavenly temple. Isaiah saw it and he saw the angelic servants the six-winged seraphim standing at the ready. With two wings they covered their faces because not even their angelic eyes could bear the sight of the Holy One in His glory. With two they covered their feet in an act of humility. And with two they flew to do the Lord's command. And they spoke responsively, now one, then the other, worshiping the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. I said that this is relevant to you. And it is right now. Right now. If, if the veil between time and eternity, if the veil between heaven and earth were pulled away right now. You would see what Isaiah saw. You would hear what Isaiah heard. 
you would realize that you are there. You would realize that you are not only sitting in this sanctuary in Monroe, Louisiana, but are also, in fact, present. Present in that unceasing worship service in heaven. If the veil between time and eternity, if the veil between heaven and earth were pulled away right now, we would see and hear what Isaiah saw and heard, but we could not bear it. God in his mercy protects and spares us from the obliterating trauma of that direct vision of his holiness and glory. Nevertheless, when we enter this sanctuary each Lord's Day, we would do well to, familiar, to remember those familiar words of Psalm 100. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with praise, his courts with thanksgiving. Now, dearly beloved, where is that? Where are you right now? Physically in Monroe, Louisiana, yes, and by the Spirit in heaven before the throne of the Holy, Holy, Holy One. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, that true believers in Christ have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Now that verse gives true believers the assurance of their eternal security in Christ, but it also bespeaks the truth that our life in the heavenly realm has already begun through our union with Jesus Christ who is ascended into heaven. And therefore, when we gather for worship on the Lord's day, we ought to be amazed and inspired by the spiritual reality that we are worshiping not only in this earthly sanctuary, but also in the heavenly sanctuary, in the presence of the six-winged seraphim, the flaming cherubim, angels and archangels, the holy company of the apostles and the martyrs in the communion of all the saints who have gone before us. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns upon the glassy sea. You are there right now if indeed you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and are worshiping his Father in spirit and truth in his name by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible says. In the letter to the Hebrews, it says, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. 
Hebrews 12, 22. In our new covenant relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, we have entered into and have begun our heavenly life. The scripture tells us that by the blood of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, true believers enter into the holy of holies to worship the Lord God on his throne. And therefore, when we worship on earth, we are worshiping in heaven. And brothers and sisters, my dearly beloved covenanters, that ought to make all the difference in the way in which we offer our worship on the Lord's day every Sunday in spirit and truth, with reverence and awe, with joy and thanksgiving, with humility and with zeal. Now let's follow the pattern of worship in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. The first thing that Isaiah saw was the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And that tells us what ought to be first in our mind's eye. Where our attention and focus must be in worship. On the Lord, high and lifted up. Now the Gospel of John, chapter 12, tells us that the one whom Isaiah saw was in fact the Lord Jesus in his eternal pre-incarnate glory, the eternal Son of God, the pre-existent Christ, 740 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. We worship the triune God, the Holy, Holy, Holy One, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and through his mediation. That is our focus in worship. And Isaiah's vision shows us that true worship, you see, is centered upon the triune God who is holy, 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 majestic in splendor, awesome in power and glory. And therefore, Hebrews 12, 28 calls us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The worship service is not about us. It's not about what we like. And it's not about what we get out of it. It is about God. what he desires and what we offer to him, the glory due his name. The first thing Isaiah heard was the heavenly liturgy of praise and adoration. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And so our worship service here begins with a liturgy of praise and adoration. 
in the call to worship, the opening hymn of praise, and the prayer of adoration. All of these opening elements are always centered upon the holiness, glory, goodness, and greatness of God. We come into his presence with singing and his courts with praise. And my dear covenanters, I commend you for being a singing congregation and I want you always to be a singing congregation. Continue to lift your voices to the Lord. Sing with the angels and saints in heaven. And I want those of you who are, shall I say, inhibited or otherwise, for whatever supposed reason, unwilling to sing, to consider the fact that God's word actually commands you to sing. Over and over again, there is a commandment in Holy Scripture. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, and you know, by the way, I've got a pretty good view from up here. <laughs> and have you ever considered the fact that not to make a joyful to, noise to the Lord is a sin and an insult to him in his holy presence? God created your voice. He knows how well you can sing or not. And evidently, he doesn't care whether you can carry a tune in a bucket or not. He wants to hear your voice joined together with the voices of this congregation on earth and the congregation in heaven singing to him. And by the way, it is really encouraging to me to see that a goodly number of you have committed to memory the words of some of the great hymns of the church that, that, that you've sung all your life, that we sing quite frequently here so that your faith isn't buried in the hymnal, but is lifted to heaven as you sing from your heart. I mean, really, do you really need to look at the hymnal to sing holy, 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 really? No, you don't. Lift your face to heaven and sing from your heart. I I wanna encourage you to do that as much as possible. Engage in worship. And how about the little children and the youth? Commit to memory. These wonderful hymns, sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise from your heart. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and he heard the praise of heaven. And then what happened? Then what? In the presence of the holy, holy, holy one, Isaiah did not say, oh, wow, man, this, what an awesome sound and light show. No, 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 no. He was not entertained. He was stricken to the core of his being with the harrowing realization that he had no right to stand before the throne of God or to gaze upon his glory. In the presence of the Holy One, Isaiah cried out in fear and trembling, woe is me, I am lost, I am ruined, I am undone, I am done for. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And with those words he was, 
acknowledging the uncleanliness of his own heart because out of the heart the mouth speaks. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And you remember likewise when the Apostle John was given his vision of Jesus Christ risen, ascended, glorified in heaven, recorded in the book of the Revelation chapter one, John tells us, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. In the light of the Lord's holiness, Isaiah could see himself for who he was an unholy, sin-defiled man, unworthy to be in the presence of the Holy One. And what did he do? What did he do? He confessed his sin. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so you see, following this biblical pattern, In our worship service, we begin with praise to God because of who he is. And then in his holy presence, we confess our sins because of who we are. God is holy and we are not. And on our own, we have no right. We have no right to stand before his throne. The prayers of confession, whether offered in unison or offered by one of the pastors, is not an empty ritual. The prayer of confession is is not magic mumbo-jumbo either, by which we receive forgiveness merely by reading words off of a page. That's not true confession. But a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. The printed prayers of confession are intended to lead you into sincere confession. They are intended as an aid to your soul to teach you how to make a true confession and to help you offer a heartfelt confession. And I I hope that you find the printed prayers of confession spiritually helpful and that you would continue to use them in your own daily devotional life through the week. But let's dig into this section a little more deeply. After Isaiah cried out his confession of sin, one of the seraphs flew to Isaiah, quote, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And Isaiah says, he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, what does that sound like? Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The seraph, the messenger of the Lord, was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinful Isaiah, declaring to sinful Isaiah the assurance of pardon. And that is the reason that in each service after the confession of sin, 
one of the pastors, one of the pastors a messenger of the Lord, says something like, to all those who truly repent of their sins and look to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and newness of life, I declare to you in his name, his promise, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ applied specifically and particularly to you. One of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. A burning coal too holy to touch with his own hands. And he touched my mouth with it. Isaiah had confessed his sins with reference to his lips and that is exactly the point to which that burning coal was applied. Well, what is that burning coal from the heavenly altar which could take away guilt? Do you see it? Do you see him? This is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ 700 years before his birth. That burning coal from the heavenly altar was nothing less Nothing less than a symbol of Jesus himself who for our sake and our salvation offered up himself as the substitutionary, wrath-absorbing, atoning sacrifice on the altar of the cross. On the cross, Jesus himself suffered the consuming fire of God's righteous wrath against our sins. He was that burning coal on the altar. He and he alone is the one through whom our guilt is taken away and our sin atoned for. And this is what the assurance of pardon in our worship service is all about. Unholy sinners are welcome in the presence of the Holy One through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Praise, confession, assurance, and then Isaiah tells us, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Praise, confession, assurance. And having welcomed us into his presence by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord speaks to us. Hearing and receiving the word of God rightly proclaimed from the scriptures is an act of worship. Hearing and receiving the word of God rightly proclaimed from the scriptures is an act of worship. To sit humbly and to listen attentively is an act of worship. For it is through the Holy Scriptures 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the word of God is rightly proclaimed, we receive the word of the Lord. As reformed Christians, we believe that the preaching and hearing of the word is a supernatural event. This is not a self-help seminar, brothers and sisters. As Reformed Christians, we believe that the preaching and hearing of the Word is a supernatural event. It appears to be quite natural. The preacher speaks. You hear. But if that's all that happens, that's all that happens. Before reading and preaching of the word, we pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We pray for God to descend upon us with power. To speak to us through his word and by his spirit to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word and souls that are willing to obey. Now look, I can speak to your eardrum and that's as far as it goes. But only God can speak to your heart. And that's what we're praying for. And that's what we're anticipating. And that's what we are expecting. When we sit in his presence to hear his word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I thank God for you, dear Covenanters, because you are a congregation which hungers for the word rightly preached. Continue to be so. And continue to pray for your preachers. For the word of God to go forth from this pulpit in the power of the Holy Spirit and accomplish his purposes in your life, individually and corporately. After Isaiah heard this word of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That is the Lord's command, his marching orders to us. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And so after hearing the word proclaimed, we in our worship service respond in a variety of ways which are our way of saying, here I am, send me. In, his, in response to God's word to us, we stand and affirm our faith. It's your way of saying, I believe in you. I believe in your word. I'm going to live my life in accordance with your word. 
My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Here I am. Send me. Send me into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live for your glory every day. When we offer our prayers to God, it is our way of saying, here I am, send me as an ambassador of your love and care and healing and justice and peace. When you offer to the Lord your tithes and offerings for the work of his kingdom, it is your way of placing yourself in the offering plate. Have you ever thought about that? Put yourself in the offering plate. Here I am. Send me into the world for the sake of your kingdom. And when we conclude with a hymn of dedication, we are committing ourselves to go back into the world as citizens of heaven to serve the Lord with faith and joy with his benediction, his good word, his blessing upon us. So you see, dear Covenanters, on Sunday mornings, we don't just go to church. We go to heaven. We enter in the heavenly worship service. We meet with God. And then he sends us back into the world, renewed to live for his glory. So, what is the most important thing you will do this week? And every week of your life on earth. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in you. The Holy Father of love and grace and power and kindness and goodness We rejoice in the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in his holy name, we pray that your Spirit will work your word in our hearts and enable us even now to live on earth as the citizens of heaven to the glory of your name. Amen. And now, in response... To the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. Here I am, send me. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born He ascended into heaven and 